Part 2 of Report of Airship Hindenburg Accident Investigation by the United States Department of Commerce. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. Part 2 The Airship Design and Construction the airship was placed in service early in 1936. It bore builder's number LZ-129 and had been constructed by the Luftschiffbau Zeppelin of Friedrichshafen, Germany, an organization which had previously built 118 Zeppelin-type airships. Briefly described... This type of design provides for a framework of duralumin metal girders with tension wires. There is division by frame wirings of the body into different compartments into which the gas bags are placed to receive the lifting gas, a keel walkway to take certain loads, a framework with an outer cover of fabric to give form, and engine cars suspended from the frame outside the ship. The Hindenburg was a Zeppelin-type airship, having an axle corridor constructed longitudinally through the center of the hull. 1936 Record During its nine months of operation in 1936, this airship made more than 55 flights, flown 2,764 hours, cruised 191,583 miles, crossed the ocean 34 times, carried 2,798 passengers and more than 377,000 pounds of mail and freight all without mishap. Dimensions, capacities, other characteristics. Its length was about 803.8 feet, height 147 feet, maximum diameter 135 feet, fineness ratio, length over diameter, about 6, Total gas volume, 7,063,000 cubic feet. Normal volume, 6,710,000 cubic feet. Weight of ship with necessary equipment and fuel was 430,950 pounds. Maximum fuel capacity... 143,650 pounds, total payload 41,990 pounds, and total lift, under standard conditions, was 472,940 pounds. Its rated cruising speed was about 75 statute miles per hour. Its maximum speed was slightly over 84 miles per hour. Passenger space was entirely within the hull. Controls 
the control system was the conventional Zeppelin-type control with two rudders acting as a unit for horizontal control and two elevators acting likewise for vertical control. Emergency elevator and rudder control wheels were installed in the stern of the ship. An electrical gyroscopic device attached to the forward rudder wheel provided automatic steering. Outer cover. The outer cover consisted of cotton fabric on certain parts of the frame, on others linen, and depending on the stresses to which it was exposed. The exterior surface of such fabric was treated with several coats of salon and a mixture containing aluminum powder. As protection against ultraviolet rays, the inner surface of the fabric on the upper part of the ship was coated with red paint. Gas cells In each of the 16 compartments of the ship was a gas cell containing the lifting gas, hydrogen. The middle cells were separate, whereas the two bow and the two stern cells were intercommunicating. The gas cell material consisted of a film placed between two layers of fabric. Nettings were provided to prevent all sharp edges from damaging the gas cells. It was stated that the amount of gas leakage through this fabric approximated a maximum diffusion rate of about 1 liter per square meter per 24 hours. Gas valves. Fourteen automatic and an equal number of manually operated or maneuvering valves were affixed to the cells. A single maneuvering valve was affixed to cells number one and two and cells fifteen and sixteen. Gas could be released from the cells by manual operation of the valve controls located in the control car and hooked up with the valves by a series of wires and pulleys. This was done under the supervision of the captain or the watch officer in charge. The automatic or emergency valves were provided to reduce the pressure of the gas in the cells under certain circumstances. The cells were numbered from stern to bow, from 1 to 16. The maneuvering valves of cells number 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 13, and 14 were connected to a master wheel in the control car which operated all of them as a unit, and there also were independent controls for the separate maneuvering valves so that the gas in them could be released as desired. Cell Fullness or Pressure Indicator Electrically actuated gas fullness or pressure units were connected to the gas cells to indicate visually by sensitive meters in the control car, the pressure 
and hence the relative fullness of the gas in the cells. These units were located in the ship's axle corridor or walkway. The accuracy or sensitivity of this system was not definitely established. An appreciable amount of gas might have been able to escape before such escape would show on the visual indicator unless that indicator was kept under close observation. According to witness Hugo Eckener, a cell could lose at least 200 to 300 cubic meters of gas before the indicator would show such a loss. Such an amount is only a very small proportion of a cell's content. Gas shafts Between every two cells, a gas shaft was provided into which gas could be valved directly from the cells. The shafts extended vertically from the lower walkway through the axle walkway to the top of the ship for ventilation purposes. On the top, they came in contact with the outside air under the protection of specially designed gas hoods or ventilators. Propulsion Four Daimler-Benz diesel engines, type LOF-6, each having a maximum rating of 1,100 horsepower, were used to propel the airship. They were contained in four outside engine cars, or gondolas, and were suspended laterally on the ship's hull by struts. Engine room telegraphs provided communications between the control room and the individual engine cars. The fuel used by the engines was a diesel oil. Propellers The four-bladed propellers attached to each engine were of wood and 19 feet 9 inches in diameter. The blades were armored with brass sheathing about 1.5 inches in width on the leading edge from about the 43-inch radius to the tip of the blade. The sheathing was bonded to the ship's structure through the engine. Tests were made with the prototype of the propellers used on the ship. They were tested to loads 50% in excess of the thrust to which the propellers would be subjected at takeoff which was three times greater than the thrust which would be imposed at cruising speed. They also successfully withstood the block tests. They were limited to 1,400 revolutions per minute in forward rotation and 1,120 revolutions per minute in reverse rotation. These revolutions were below the fluttering speeds of the blades. Electrical Power Plant and Installations The electrical power plant of the ship consisted of two 50-horsepower diesel-driven generators with switchboard and distribution system. These generators were independent of the outside propelling engines. 
the electric generators and principal members of the system were located amidships on the port side of the keel. Current was generated for the purpose of lighting, cooking, radio, and steering. There were two circuits, one of 220 volts, the other of 24 volts. The ship's electric wiring was of copper and was installed in accordance with the rigid regulations governing the German mining societies. The lead to the stern light, which was on a 220-volt circuit, using a very heavy cable protected by a special fuse, extended from the electrical power plant along the lower walkway and thence to the light. No electric wiring extended above the equator except in the extreme nose of the ship. Ropes and Cables The main mooring steel cable was fixed to the tip or nose end of the ship. The port and starboard bow trail ropes were attached to the ship at frame 244 Point five. These trail ropes were about 413 feet in length. It is understood that in landing the ship it was the practice to approach the ground mast from leeward and drop the wire cable and the two trail ropes. The main cable was then coupled to a mooring mast cable leading through the top of the mast. By means of a winch, the cable was then reeled in, pulling the mooring cone on the ship's nose into the corresponding cup on top of the mast. The trail ropes were coupled to ground ropes and led out to the sides to keep the ship headed into the wind and towards the mast and to prevent it from overriding the mast structure. In the stern, at frame 47, an aftermooring cable was in practice led out through a metal fair lead. At frame 62, Port and starboard spider was let out at landing. Besides those enumerated, the ship was provided with other mooring or landing tackle for such use as circumstances warranted. Ballast Arrangements Water was generally used for ballast. The emergency ballast was contained in fabric containers, four of which, of 500 kilograms of water, were suspended in the bow and an equal number in the stern. To the right and left of the lower walkway were suspended a number of other ballast tanks, some of 2,500 liters each, and others of 2,000 liters each. The ballast tanks could be emptied partially or totally by the elevator man by means of control wires connected to a ballast stand in the control room. Several of the fuel tanks could also be used for ballast purposes.
Radio Equipment The radio room was located above the after end of the control car. Its equipment provided for two-way radio telephone and telegraph communications. It included a short wave and a long wave transmitter, each with 200-watt antenna capacity, two all-wave receivers, and two direction finders. The frequency of the short-wave transmitter was 4,160 to 17,500 kilocycles. The frequency of the long-wave transmitter was 120 to 500 kilocycles. The frequency range of the receivers was 12 to 20,000 kilocycles. Power for the transmitters was obtained from a 220-volt direct current supply generated by the ship's electric power plant. The receivers obtained their high voltage from batteries and power for their filaments was obtained through a series resistor from the 24-volt ship's generator. For the short-wave transmitter there was a trailing antenna of 26 meters length. For the long-wave transmitter a trailing antenna of about 90 meters length was used. These trailing antennas were located directly below the transmitters and ran through an aperture in the keel of the ship. There was a fixed antenna extending from the control car about 15 meters towards the stern. The fixed antenna was used only for receiving purposes. In addition to this equipment, there was located in the bow an emergency transmitter and receiver, current for which was obtained from a generator driven by pedal power. This emergency set employed a trailing antenna about 20 meters in length. Lifting gas. The ship was inflated with hydrogen. According to the evidence adduced, this gas has the following characteristics. It is colorless, odorless, and tends to diffuse in all directions. The only way that hydrogen could be detected by smell would be due to the presence of impurities as a result of the process by which it was produced or contamination from some source, such as rubberized fabric. Hydrogen, for lifting purposes, has a density of approximately 5 pounds per thousand cubic feet, depending on the temperature and pressure. Its lifting power is the difference between the density of air and its own density. The density of air is about 75 pounds per thousand cubic feet. Assuming pure hydrogen, its lifting power would therefore be about 70 pounds per thousand cubic feet. An opinion was advanced that the general order of pressure of the gas within the cells of the ship was somewhere between half an inch and one inch of water pressure. 
it was stated that the density of hydrogen corresponds to air at a temperature of 5,000 degrees Fahrenheit, and that the chimney effect of its escape through the gas shafts of the ship was so very great that there was no possibility of its moving down the shafts into the lower parts of the ship. The flammable limits of a mixture of hydrogen and air are probably between 4.5% and 62% of hydrogen. Other experiments have shown variances from 8 through 9.8% to 66%. The temperature at which chemical activity between hydrogen and oxygen takes place is between 507 degrees to 557 degrees centigrade. This temperature range is dependent upon the amount of hydrogen present. The range of activity of combustion will be from the lower limit of 4.5%, at which there will probably be an invisible union without evidence of flame. A combustible mixture would be more hazardous in an atmospheric condition of 98% relative humidity and temperature 60 degrees Fahrenheit than in dry air with relatively low humidity since dry hydro-oxygen is more difficult to ignite and its ignition temperature is higher. In an explosion, the flame propagates in all directions in the combustible range between 15 to 45 percent of hydrogen. These figures were arrived at experimentally with glass or metallic apparatus which did not have effect upon the combustion temperature. Catalytic metals having absorption properties, would be likely to affect the combustion at lower temperatures. Finished duralumin would not be expected to have material catalytic effect upon hydrogen. Bonding The whole metallic structure of the craft was bonded. End of part two.